1: Hello and welcome to episode 169 of the Washed Up Emo podcast. I am Tom Mullen from WashedUpEmo.com. It has been an interesting last couple of months since the last episode that deserves some personal updates I normally don't do. In March, my full-time job was downsized. And as many others have had their lives turned upside down these last couple of months, nothing compares to those that lost their family or friends to this insane pandemic. I hope all of you out there are safe and sound. Thank you for being patient, thank you for being supportive of this endeavor, it means the world. If you do want to support and have the means, head on over to patreon.com washedupemo. It helps pay for all things that go into this podcast. And if you can, amazing. That site again is patreon.com washedupemo. Again, if you want to reach out directly, you can know where to find me, on the socials or washedupemo.com. Okay, on to the episode. Today, we welcome Whitmer Thomas. You're saying, Who is Whitmer? Whitmer is a comedian that recently had a one-hour comedy special on HBO called The Golden One. It's also an album with the same name that you can listen to on your favorite DSP. Whitmer was a musician before a comedian and had quite a of knowledge of punk, hardcore, and emo from his days playing in emo and screamo bands. To that, Whitmer jokes throughout his HBO special about bands we all know and love. You should search it out as there isn't a more specific comedy special for our crowd. Whitmer was a joy to talk to, and we had a blast talking about his inspirations, his late mom's band, and being creative in both music and comedy. So I really hope you enjoy this episode, and you have no excuse but to watch Whitmer's special. You're home anyway, and you need something to help laugh and have some time away from anyone else that's in your vicinity. No excuses. This is episode 169 of the Wash Up Female podcast with musician, comedian, and star of the Golden One HBO special, Whitmer Thomas. Just before we start, have you heard of Washed Up emo? Do you know what we're up to, or I'm up to? Oh yeah, big time. No shit, Come really. On. Are you kidding me?
0: I don't know. Yeah, man. <laughs> You're talking to the quintessential um, emo uh, guy, comedian who has uh, about who mostly talks about emo. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Good. I just wanted to make sure. Growing up in Florida, uh, Alabama line. Um, I actually spent some time down in that area for a spring break once. It was pretty interesting. And I was wondering how people found punk. How did you find punk down there? Or what was the catalyst? My
0: brother was a huge fan of uh, punk music, you know, like West Coast skate punk. Uh, My brother's five years older than me, so he would always listen to Pennywise and um, Screeching Weasel. And uh, he... He really liked he had this um, mixed CD compilation, Beer Nuts and Survival of the Fattest and from Fat Records. So those were kind of my introduction CDs, like just in general. You know, it was like I liked um, I would listen to my mom's band play, and then uh, I liked uh, Billy Joel, and then and then I liked those bands and those songs. And uh, but the real introduction, like the big game changer for me, was. Um, my brother, I wanted him to get me a. He was going to the CD store with my cousins. You know, they're all older, so I wasn't allowed to go for some reason. I had to stay at home, and I begged my brother to buy me a CD. And, um, him mm-hmm. and my cousin Wilkes, who, they're both in the stand up special, they, um, bought me a, a, a blink 82 mm-hmm. Shesher cat, and, uh, that just, uh, changed my whole life, truly. Like, my whole life changed in that moment. How so? Uh, there's just something about it. The way that this, the album starts with Carousel and uh, the bass line made, you know, my mom had bought me a bass guitar. She really wanted me to be a bassist because she just, I, I think she thinks all basses are, there's, it's hard to find a good bass player was kind of her, her thing. And she said, so you'd be a good bass player and you'd be the one that everybody finds and you'll be like a really hireable musician I didn't like playing bass because I, I really wanted to bang on a guitar and strum it. And, but then I heard Mark Hoppus' bass line and carousel. And I was like, you know, I was 10 and I was like, Holy shit. That's the bass. I and I forced my brother's friend to teach me how to play it. And it just, it just like changed everything for me. Like playing music, the way that how funny they were, uh, like, and the songs that they sang it was like it, I know that they were probably like 20 when they recorded that but I was 10 and it lined up perfectly so yeah it was just a, a big time change and and then I think the next year Enema of the State came out and you know they were big time but uh, I was lucky to hear like their early stuff first and it was a huge thing and then you know I, that was just the gateway for me like cause I, I skateboarded and then I had this Blink-182 CD and then I would ask my friends at school or my friends' older brothers, like they liked punk, and you know it was all like kind of pop punk adjacent music. And so I, I finally felt like, oh, this is who I am, you know, in that kind of those first moments of, of listening to Blink One Eighty Two. Back then, it was if there was anything skateboarding or punk related, it was good, you know. If it was if it was fast, if it was really you know, so if my older brother or my friend was like oh my god you gotta check out um this strung out album this band called strung out you know i I remember listening to it i mean this doesn't sound like anything that i've ever liked before doesn't sound like blink 182 or or uh you know whoever else but this is like incredible listen how fast the drums are just like also knowing that it wasn't like a popular thing for people to like down in alabama where i was from it felt like a very like a secret almost. You know, it was just so cool to be a skater and a and a, a guy who liked punk music when I was a kid because I felt like an outcast in the best way possible. Also, it it justified my weird little personality. Like I wasn't necessarily like a popular kid, and and I didn't care because if I was popular, it wouldn't fit with my punk narrative. <laughs> discovering this new music just built onto that. And, and I don't think I disliked the punk band until I was 14.
1: <laughs> Every So <laughs> that was the moment to get you. If, if, if a band had a marketing plan, they were like, we got to get to wit before he's 14.
0: Totally. <laughs> yeah. And then it was the, the, the album, uh, so long and thanks for all the shoes by no effects. Um, all based on just album covers. I, I'd never heard the music, um, or maybe my brother's saying, yeah, that's cool, man. You should get that. But like, I, I never had heard the, the actual music. It was just album covers. There was, I'm trying to think of the very first ones, um, in fifth and sixth grade. What? Oh, Gutter Mouth it was huge. Um, and then Strung Out. I got Strung Out, Twisted by Design after hearing one of their songs, um, I and Pennywise, bro. You know, also ba- playing bass. I was, bro. Him was like this big bassline, and so that was so, you know, so cool for me. Um, and and then uh, Operation Ivy and Less Than Jake, both based on uh, just uh, album covers. I'm thinking the album cover art was cool. Yeah, the biggest one for me in middle school was AFI um very proud of yeah. That one. Davy Havoc, the way that he sounded, how high pitched his voice was. My voice has always sounded like always sounded like a twelve year old. And I just like worshipped him. And I still do. I think he's amazing. But like as a kid I just connected so hard with him. And how fast all those songs are on that album and how he's just like screeching his way through it. That was probably my most listened to um Spotify <laughs> in uh, uh between 6th and 8th grade. What 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 years were those? Let's see. That would be 99 through 2002. Nice.
1: Uh I remember seeing AFI open for um the Offspring. I think it was maybe 96 or 97. And when they were done, AFI was done, I screamed Straight Edge and threw up Xs and Davey looked back <laughs> and gave like the biggest smile and I was like that's it man I'm good like I'm still good from it like (laughs) that he yeah Yeah. dude that's
0: so cool oh man
1: so nerdy Uh, yeah
0: I found this VHS tape at this record store called East Hill Records in Pensacola when I was in middle school I went with my older brother's friends and I bought a VHS tape Um, I can't remember what it was called it was some like compilation of music videos and live performances and Davey Havoc is in it and he's talking about Punk fashion. He's like, yeah, you know, it's like paint your nails, do whatever, you know. Don't drink, don't do drugs. And I was fully struggling with, you know, this like hate that I had in my heart for drugs and alcohol because of my parents' experience with it. And I, he just like I lived through him in in so many ways. He he was just the, it, it is the coolest. I see him every now and again walking around L.A. I've never spoken to
1: him, but I don't know what I would say. Maybe one day I will work at work.
0: Yeah, I don't either. I'm so much more nervous to meet him than I would ever be to meet, like, uh, Daniel Day-Lewis or something, you know? <laughs> if, I saw, <laughs> if I had to talk to Davey Havoc, I don't know what I would do.
1: Well, the things you say that about, you know, him saying those things and having someone, you know, to to look up to. Because it's not like your environment, and you talked about your parents, but also the school or the location of... You know, the, it, you're being told by marketing to drink, you're being told by marketing to smoke, even though like it's the, the, it was just this thing that you were supposed to do.
0: Yeah. And I, I, I just didn't want to do it. And then they, they, yeah, I mean, I'm sure the same with you. And so when I would see people that I loved saying like, do these things, like don't, don't worry about what people think. And then, you know, the next day going to school with my nails painted in middle school, people making fun of me, that was the goal. I wanted people to make fun of me and think of me as being different because I didn't want to be anything like them. If it's like you're kid and that's what I think now, like I haven't my, an older step nephew who's 10 or 11, he's having a hard time in school making friends. And I'm like, be weird, dude. If you ever get the opportunity, be a fucking freak because if you're a freak and people think you're a freak, then you're doing it right. <laughs> you know? I, I was really grateful for punk music for that reason, or I am now. I don't know if I was at the time. But go, and going to shows, you know, when you're a kid, that was just the coolest and getting getting away and, you know, like trying to figure out how to get away. And It was the same in my, my childhood. Everybody was just kind of getting fucked up or, uh, you know, so I, I, I w- it was just like, it was such a fun thing. And also thinking like back then, I remember going to school the day after going to some show, like we saw the suicide machines in eighth grade at this little cafe. And I remember going to school the next day and it felt like I lost my virginity or something. Like I had some huge secret or some cool thing that nobody else experienced.
1: Do you remember like Um, wearing the, like the shirt the next day and it like it was crisp, but it also had like the smoke You know, it was like still smoky from whatever crappy venue. Uh I always remember that. Yeah, it
0: smelled terrible.
1: <laughs> yeah, but you yeah, ha- but like you had
0: to wear it. Starch shirt. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, dude. The best. I remember being a kid and wearing a studded belt all the time and like I and you know, and skating and then wearing whatever band shirt I had and and being so excited for when I fell skateboarding, if I was wearing a studded belt, it would rip holes in my shirt on the side. Yes. And being like, "Oh, I hope I have some good falls today <laughs> because <laughs> it's gonna really uh, authenticate my punkness with my cool shirt, my Strike Anywhere shirt."
1: Oh hell yeah, Strike Anywhere. That be so good. <laughs> the uh... yeah,
0: Strike Anywhere would come through Pensacola, Florida, all the time. So they were a big band
1: for me. When did you start going to shows? Like what age? In eighth grade. My
0: brother, my brother started taking me to shows, um, because I, he said, come to the show and film it. And he would just make me sit in the back and film it on a little DV camera. So him and his friends could watch it later. So, so that became kind of my job. Uh, he was like 17 or 18 and would let me go with them as long as I filmed it. And, uh, as long as I filmed the show. And yeah, so that became my, that was my out. Like, uh, just, but, and then I remember we would always watch the videos and the camera would be shaking up and down the whole time because I would be head banging. But uh, <laughs> yeah, so I was 13, I think, when I started, my brother started taking me out. And the first, like, cool, real show I ever saw was Catch-22 and Suicide Machines. And I, I went back to school and I was telling my friends, I was like, I saw the suicide machines yesterday. My brother took me and they were all so jealous. And then my brother became like the shepherd of my little friends. And so he started to have to like go take them too, to the shows. So it was me and my brother and all of his like 18 year old friends and then a bunch of 13 year olds. And my brother was cool enough to let us get in the back of his van and go. That's awesome Um, of him. And he was, yeah, he's still, I mean, he's the best. And I, it's crazy now. I don't even know how I knew that shows happened. I think about <laughs> I that same thing. Remember.
1: What about message boards? I feel like they were on message boards or you saw a flyer or like, right?
0: Yeah, there was a fly, there would be flyers at the venue. And then there would, there was a um, message board, Gulf Coast hardcore scene would post the shows. I would look at it every single day. And a really fucked up thing that my best friend to this day and and main collaborator, Clay Tatum, did. He directed my comedy special with me. The the thing that I'll never forgive him for is um, he, you know, has always been really good at Photoshop. He Photoshopped the message board to say that because taking back Sunday would never come through Pensacola. (laughs) Um, They famously did. And I wasn't able, I couldn't fit in the car to go. What? And uh, they, were opening, they were opening for grade. And um, they just, all, everybody bought their demo. And, they, and my friend Brock still has their little demo that has these old, it's like a paper demo. Wow. Um, and so, but I wasn't able to go. And I was the biggest Taking Back Sunday fan. And so Clay, as a prank, not realizing that it would just break me, um, photoshopped on the message board that Taking Back Sunday was coming to play the American Legion in Pensacola and so I told everybody about it and everybody knew it was a prank and then Clay or somebody just felt too bad and broke it to me that they're not actually playing and Clay was like I didn't know that you would actually think it was real. He like printed it out and handed me the piece of paper. Wow. Um, so
1: Nice job Clay. I'll
0: never forgive him. <laughs> yeah.
1: Uh that's why Adam uh he would be go would be at shows and, and was in high school when I was in college uh in North Carolina. So he would always be at all the shows and um it was kind of funny. He was like, Oh, I'm moving up to New York to join a band. We're like, Oh, that's crazy <laughs> And then it that, was Oh back, yeah, so good luck with that, Sal. Yeah, good luck with that, buddy. New York's gonna yeah. eat you alive, you know? <laughs> it's like Nope. Uh
0: Man, he um he he tweeted at me one time because I do a joke that's based on one of his lyrics in my and set and uh and uh, he tweeted at me like what is this joke you do about me and I I tweeted back like it's from a place of love
1: I don't know <laughs> so that's interesting so I of, hope he's cool no he is he's super cool I think I mean <laughs> it's funny you bring that up is like you know emo itself and he, being a comedian you know like. It seems like why it's the genre is a punchline to people when in reality it has a longer history in life. Asking a comedian, why is it a punchline? And do you think what do you think that would will ever change?
0: No, I, I don't think so. I, I think that um, it's similar to goth, you know, how people just think of goth as being funny. Um, Emo's the same way. I think people think of it as being like a whiny period with really terrible fashion. Most people didn't weren't really even aware of emo until like 2008, which I feel like in in my mind emo was kind of had already been a thing, you know. I guess it, it was like a hot like panic at the disco time in 2008, but I don't know why people think it's funny. I think because people will th- always think that people um, kind of trying super hard is cringy and, and funny. But that's what I like so much about emo music and uh, is the commitment to it, you know. Um, I'm not really sure why people... You know, and if, if I'm in L.A. where people are more kind of aware of emo music and I say I used to be in an emo band, people just kind of laugh. And I'm not really trying to be funny right there, but. That's, that's what I know mean. it is, because that's... people remember it's almost like. Um, I don't know what it's like. It's like saying uh, people think of my space. People just think of a time where it's like, oh, you mean the guys, with the straightened hair and the you know, the the red jumpsuit apparatus or whatever the band was (laughs) that, that like, had a a hit. Um, But I don't necessarily think of... My uh, version of emo is kind of different. Like, a lot of the bands that I grew up listening to, I I think they all sound very different than each other. It wasn't... I don't... They definitely didn't think of themselves as emo bands, you know?
1: When did, like, punk... Like, where did you find Emo? When did you find those bands? Like, what, what about it appealed to you?
0: Uh, I remember the night, exactly. Um, it was in eighth grade again. And um, I, felt re- I was at, staying at my friend Mason's house. I felt feeling really sick. So I went to sleep, really, like, at a weird hour at, like, 6 p.m. And uh, his older brother, um, who was really good friends with my older brother, um, had a Get Up Kids CD, and so I I just pressed play while I laid in bed and tried to go to sleep and fell in love with um, I don't remember what album I heard that and I was it was like a, a kind of a it was like punk but more emotional and then sometimes it was really slow and there was piano and I don't think I had ever heard emo before maybe other than that Blink One Eighty Two song title is called uh, they have that song emo. I never heard the word emo, but I loved it. And then someone told me that's emo music and I was like, that's cool as hell. Emo. That's awesome. I'm emo. I'm emo. Even though at the time I was like in eighth and ninth grade, I was in a pretty aggressive punk band and I dressed really punk. You know, I would wear like a bondage belt and stuff. And, um, but I didn't, it wasn't me. (laughs) (laughs) Once I, I heard get up kids, I was like, this is it and then um, somebody in that same time period I found you know like my brother was so ahead of me he was was like Get Up Kids are cool because Get Up Kids oh they're friends with Coles oh you gotta check out the Coles split with Get Up Kids And, uh, and so he was kind of ahead of me and then I was like oh you like that and he was always so enthusiastic anytime he found out that I liked something that he liked which we liked all the same shit but I was just younger and so much further behind him so he gave me, um, saves the day, can't slow down. And then that was all, it wasn't really emo, but it was like so fast and, and, uh, it was pretty much straight punk. But then in that, right in that time, they came out with, um, with, uh, through being cool, which was kind of more leaning emo. So I, uh, it was just perfect timing, you know, eighth grade, it was like being sick in a fever dream, listening to the get up kids and like. Everything, might, my, my, I'm just like, oh, in six months, I'm going to look like a, a totally different version of this subculture
1: that I'm a part of. I mean, it really had that effect. I mean, it, it changed what people were doing. Yeah, man. And it, it was funny because some of my
0: friends were really hateful. Like, they hated emo music. They were listening to, like, Global Threat like Clay was the last punk. We always say my, my best friend, Clay, he was the last true punk because it took him the longest to like shit, to to kind of accept that the weaker thans were cool or (laughs) whatever it is. And they were only cool because they were adjacent to propaganda. And, um, you know, it just took him. but, but that was the truth. It was like, I, everybody was, frustrated with me once I started getting so into emo because I think they knew that I wanted, I was going to want the band to change genres, change the name of the band to something different, which totally happened. But it was also, it was perfect because I was like heart sick, you know, I was like a really heart sick kid and I think emo music kind of echoed that more than the, the pop punk stuff that I was like listening to.
1: I feel like the pop punk was, well, uh, it was, it was, it was fine. You know, it was, I love suicide machines or I love those things, but it didn't hit me. Like it didn't help if that makes sense.
0: No, I wasn't getting chills until yeah. I, I listened to get up kids and that stuff started to give me the real deal chills. Yeah. If I can get so-and-so to hear this song, she'll know how I feel. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I think I think in college for some public speaking class, I I I I spoke a Get Up Kids song off of Four Minute Mile. Oh man! Like as a presentation. That's <laughs> <laughs> pretty bad. That's really good. That's great. <laughs> you were in bands too. Me and Clay were in a punk band,
0: just kind of a regular, fast, annoying punk band, and. um you know, my mom was in a band, so we had, like, this rehearsal spot in the corner of our house and with, like, a drum set and an amp or, you know, my mom's drummer's drums or my whoever, you know. And my brother was also in a band. He was in a hardcore band. It was just already set up for us to go, like, play. So we, we were in a punk band, and we, like, recorded little demos using my mom's equipment. And then um, that band changed and as our tastes changed in, into an emo band called Say Your Last.
1: <laughs> of course.
0: <laughs> we were very serious about this band, though. And Say Your Last kind of shifted to Screamo and then kind of like a mosh, emo, Screamo, hardcore, whatever. We kind of went through the whole spectrum. You know, that band, We I, by the time I was in high school, we were touring and we would open up for my big brother's band and a lot of cool bands opened for us, like um, Chiodos opened for us. And oh, no way. Portugal the Man opened for us one time. <laughs> yeah, that band, you know, Portugal the Man, they had that hit song a couple years ago. The Night, so Chiodos, the Chiodos Brothers is what they were called back then, and Portugal the Man were on tour, and they didn't, I don't know, they they were coming through Pensacola, playing at the End of the Line Cafe. We were on the show. They realized, I think, once they got to the venue that most of the people who were there to see us were like, or the show were our friends, you know, there was maybe like 20 people there. So they're like, Will y'all play last and we'll open. And uh, yeah, totally. And that night they, Chiodos, the uh, Chiodos found out they got the call that Equal Vision signed them. Wow. And so we like had this celebration hangout at, Um, The End of the Line Cafe in Pensacola I was a kid, I was like Maybe 15, you know And they were probably 20, maybe 20 But uh, I remember thinking like, that's the Fucking dream, like
1: (laughs) They just got signed by Equal Vision Records, like their life Has changed forever (laughs) Um, That was a crazy time Working there, we had like Chiodos going We had Fall of Troy, Armor for Sleep uh who else oh man circus survive like uh, th- those guys huge you know chioto's like those guys tore their asses off and like they played a venue and 10 kids would show up but then the next time they played those 10 kids told all their friends and then they showed up so it was one of those like i feel like there's similarities to like comedians and bands because you really do have to you have to go out
0: dude, it sucks. Yeah, you're right. Um, it's like, uh, you know, I've been touring as a comedian for seven, six or seven years now. And it's been this year is the first time I've ever sold any tickets. And these are just for like hundred seat rooms, you know, they're they're like a hundred tickets available. And I'm talking any tickets, like sometimes I'm not, I'm not selling out all these shows and I've been doing it for seven years and so it's like, and with bands, they tour so much more extensively. It's
1: just like they have an out. It's like, oh, God.
0: Yeah, there is a lot of similarities.
1: Like you're almost touring on the shitty uh, shows that everyone gets thrown on and it's all pay for play. You know what I mean? Like it's not like, mm-hmm. like sometimes you're doing a tour with, <laughs> with comedians together, but a lot of times you're at whatever venue and you're, you're thrown on a bill, right?
0: Uh, yeah, usually how it works is, well, now, that's how it has always worked until a few years ago when I started doing the Golden One, kind of like one-man show thing. Oh, I would right. just go and book it. This is the Golden One show. This is like my hour-long show. Uh, and uh, that made it more easy, honestly, to like get people to come because they knew what was coming. Instead of me going through Atlanta and, and doing a, a 45-minute set on a showcase with three other comedians who are all doing 15, you know what I mean? It's a it's an easier way to, to plan a tour and to, like, book it and to promote it.
1: It's, I mean, but you're right. Like, that's, like, you saying that it took that long to get that point. I feel like there's bands today that think, like, after their first tour, like, everything's going to be easy. And it's like, well, get ready. <laughs> like, I mean, Portugal. Dude, think about it for Portugal. They just got their hit. I know. After how many albums? Like... Right, that was
0: that was over fifteen years ago that right. I opened for them. <laughs> that. That's psychotic. You know, and you know what's really crazy now? I think about it when I do a show out of town and it's the audience is really light. I, I if even when the show's good and it seems like they're really enjoying themselves and laughing and stuff. I I was talking to Jonah Ray about this the other night, like. He was, you know, we were talking about going to see Dillinger 4 when we were kids, and and and, uh, and I don't remember the audience. I just remember how much fun I had. I don't remember there not being anybody there. But looking back, I'm pretty sure there was no one there. There might have been 15 people in the crowd. But that's not how I remember things. Like, sitting in the crowd watching all these amazing bands, like Strike Anywhere, is a great example. I'm pretty sure there was maybe 20 people or against me. I would see against me all the time. I saw against me before the, and their drummer didn't even have a real drum set. And I don't think there was anybody in the crowd, but I don't, I remember in my mind, it was like a packed house. And But I bet you against me remembers it a very different way.
1: <laughs> right. But that's that feeling, you know, you got something from that night. Sort of like when you have a, a night with your best friend and nothing really happens, but everything happens. Yeah. Yeah,
0: totally. The best nights of my life, like my the thickest memories in my brain. It's like nothing actually happened. We sat on a porch. Right. When I was a kid in a small town in Alabama, if a new kid came to school, like there's this new kid named Alex who I'm still really close with. He came to school in 10th grade wearing a Thursday shirt. And I was like, I don't know anything about this kid, but we're going to be friends. Here we go. And then, you know, like he didn't, he didn't skate. He didn't like any of the same movies I liked, but he liked Thursday and he liked the bands that Thursday liked. So we were friends and then we became best friends because of that.
1: Yeah. uh, Do you know the band hopes fall?
0: Oh yeah. Hope's fall was huge for me. They would like tour to where I lived. So we would
1: see them too a lot. What about, uh, you know, creating music versus creating comedy? Yeah,
0: um, music comes more naturally to me. I, I it's it's more easy, I guess. It's not necessarily easy. I just feel like it's it's more natural for me to go and write a song and be really sincere with songwriting and and whereas with comedy, it it's, it takes me a really long time to work out a joke and I have to do it over and over and over again before I feel like it gets done. You know, so usually it takes over a year to like finish a joke. Whereas with a, a song, sometimes I, I feel like I'll accidentally write a song that's done in like an hour. But I didn't do like music and comedy together until a, a few years ago. That that was a, a new discovery for me. I, I had written a, you know, I'd, when I moved to L.A., I was in a punk, more like a kind of garage rock band, kind of um, maybe sort of similar to like the Black Lips or something like that And with my buddy Clay. And we stopped doing that so we could sort of focus on like writing and acting and directing stuff and making like sketch videos and stuff with our sketch group power violence and I stopped doing music and then a few years ago I decided to record a bunch of songs that I had written really sincerely in this kind of dark patch of my life where I felt kind of like uh, maybe I had failed out here in LA and I didn't think I was gonna really amount to anything and really starting to get become kind of obsessed in a very unhealthy way with my mom calling me the golden one before she died all the time, stuff like that. So, but then when I hear, heard the first mixes back of the album, I couldn't stand my voice and I hated the lyrics and because the comedian, you know, inside of me was like, this is so lame. Like, what are you doing? Like, this is so stupid. And so instead of trying to be metaphorical, which is what I was trying to do. I was trying to write good metaphor, like have good poetry in, in the lyrics. And I thought it might be funny if I just kind of sang about what the song is actually about. And I just plainly said it. So if I had a song about my mom drinking herself to death and was trying to be mysterious and poetic, and instead of doing that, I would just say my mom partied to death. And I found that if I did a joke... And then I sang that song. People would laugh at it in in a way that I hadn't really ever experienced. And yeah, that was the first time ever kind of doing that. And like, it wasn't a, like an obvious thing for me just to play music. It just and in, in comedy, it just kind of happened.
1: I I think the 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 creation part, like music, seems to be you know, easy, but this, you know, you said comedy takes a minute, but it seems like they sort of intersected and you did have that excited feeling when that happened and it didn't feel like it was wrong. It felt right.
0: Yeah, it did. It felt right. It, and, and it also, it, it satisfied that thing I miss so much, which is emo, which is ultimately emo music. I had shifted, you know, like I got older, I started listening to, Older music and older songwriters and, and newer music. I, I got really into like the Saddle Creek Records kind of thing, which is emo in its own way. But it, there, it is more the lyrically. A lot of those bands are much more metaphorical and and less like. I always make the joke like, you know, um. In Saves the Day, he has a song where he's like, "And I said, Dave, please just drive," or he's like, "If if next time I see Nick, I'm going to stick some needles in his face." It's like. <laughs> who is nick and oh you, you know what i mean there's not met- maybe he is being like metaphorical in the way that you know what i don't know what a needle maybe a needle is something different to him but i i think it's the same i did the same thing that i would have done as a kid writing in my notebook writing lyrics which right. is, i wouldn't have said like the clouds have uh, le- lifted as i smile upon her rose peddled lips or whatever I would have said you looked at me and it made me feel good Right. (laughs)
1: Um, and so I just kind of went back to that you know it's really I mean it is in your face a little bit it is it's real and I think when it got fake it didn't feel real and that's when I got offended or that's when the my website and podcast started because it was like that's not real it's almost like a fake thing where you know this emotion is 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 for good. It's for it's it's not to be sad on purpose. It's sort of to get through.
0: And that's you're totally right. And that's what it. You know, it wasn't just leaning into this sadness. It was these people not really being aware of how to articulate themselves, and so they they just sang about it very bluntly, and it was emotional. And and I think that's also why it's why people think of it as being funny is because it is, there is this desperation to it that is kind of comical, you know, like Adam Lazara literally says, if you slit slip my throat with my one last gasping breath, I'd apologize for bleeding on your shirt. That's a perfect joke. Like <laughs> in its structure, everything. If I was to walk on a stage and say that, or if I said, if some character said that in a movie, it would get a laugh. But in that moment, Adam Lazara is saying, if you killed me, I would just feel bad because I might get some blood on you. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so applying that, that line, you could apply to every aspect of my like creative journey in the last few years. And it, it kind of works.
1: I love that.
0: <laughs> I'm only now, just now discovering that.
1: <laughs> uh, that's this has happened a bunch on the podcast where someone kind of gets figures this out. Like it really is interesting to see the the similarities and the where this genre has I think deeper meanings than again like what most people would snicker at or laugh. I mean, it's it's almost like you know you were taken by it and it, it's it's not letting you go, but it's also guided you.
0: Yeah, totally. It's it might be the same feeling that you get when a teacher yells at you and you can't think of anything else to do but laugh you don't you know I think it's the same thing people hear or somebody's so mad at you all you can do is laugh it's like you hear this song on the radio of some person crying into a microphone some people don't know what to do so they laugh some other people they cry too um, I think as a kid I would cry too now I'm somewhere in the middle and I really I appreciate both sides
1: for the special, I think there was a few quotes, which I had, I had forgotten about. No one spoofs emo music better.
0: I don't know. I think maybe somebody, um, from vulture said that about me be- because, um, I, a long time ago that I was sort of known years back for, um, doing a, a parody, kind of a joke about aging as a uh, blink 182 ages. How, um, Mark Hoppus seems to kind of gracefully lean into this darker voice. Um, Whereas Tom DeLonge, you know, this was a long time ago, but Tom DeLonge um, still has the same singing voice and how in the song, I miss you, their voices compared like kind of next to each other. It's like really funny. And now everybody kind of makes that joke. But back then I think there wasn't anybody that I knew doing that bit. So
1: I like um, that. So that's kind of where it started from.
0: But yeah, so people became aware of me as like a, a guy who spoofs like emo singing and emo voices and a lot on stage. And when I would host my show Power Violence with my friends, we would often do bits like that, like that, and and then I think building on that, Mark Hoppus finding out about the joke, and then. Him and me and uh, Jonah Ray and Ali Kohler from Upset. We kind of um, formed that little band to play one time. And, um,
1: that probably I blew your mind. the
0: song with yeah, it was the best night of my life. <laughs> it was uh, it was insane. I was standing next to Mark Office. He was playing. You know, we played Damn It too, and uh, we played Dinosaur Junior song. We played a bunch of cool songs. You
1: played Boxcar. We played Just right? Like Heaven
0: by the Cure. We played Boxcar, yeah. Um, we what else did we do? Oh, we played Molly's Lips, which is the same exact chord progression, top to bottom, as Boxcar. Just because we thought it was funny. It was just a dream. It, I I don't think I've ever been so excited in my life to be on stage. Like uh, as when I, when the leading the moments leading up to him like kicking it to me to sing Tom's verse and, and miss you. Like I mean it's a pretty, it's like, a, and I always say that I, that was my one make a wish, you know, he was so cool to me and has continued to be such a nice guy to me. And I'm just like, I don't know. I, I mentioned them twice in the comedy special and it's kind of like unavoidable for me to mention them in any conversation because of how important that, that band is to me.
1: Well, I mean, it's full circle to have that first CD, uh, and then be able to to do that like i love that any other uh bands for people to listen out for on the special that that get thrown out there or referenced let's see i really
0: reference i mean i reference taking back sunday
1: i wonder
0: yeah. oh the t- the spoken word part really comes from um poison the well you know that yes. the way that uh I'm specifically making fun of the voice of the singer from uh, Misery Signals, which was a band that I loved growing up. And I still do uh, the way that he would do his spoken word parts. He'd be like, I'll never forget those photos and stuff. The way that uh, that was the last thing she ever said to me. <laughs> um, and, so I, um, and that's literally a bit that, that, bit that I, I'm doing in my comedy special as a 30 year old was a bit that I was doing with my friends when I was 50. <laughs> so, I love it's that. like, uh, you know, like the, that whole chunk of material, um, it's it's all about Taking Back Sunday, Poison the Well, Blink-182, uh, Misery Signals, I mean, Hope's Fall, they did it too, and I don't know, the scream that I do is is like kind of cool. I always thought Colette had like the coolest scream. Yeah, uh, music references to look out for. I think that's it. I, nice. I think like um, Mark Hoppus gave me the guitar that I play in the thing, uh, out of like a just like a strange, really nice thing that I I didn't have a guitar. Whenever we played, I, I had sold all my instruments and my car and everything to try to make rent. And um, when he te- when we connected to play that show at the satellite which is a venue here in LA and uh I didn't have a guitar to play so I had to borrow a guitar and he was asking me about the guitar that I was playing and I said, I don't really know any much about it. This isn't mine and he goes, Oh, what what, what happened to you? And I go, I had to sell it and he goes, Oh, you don't have a guitar? What kind of guitar would you want? And I was like, I would want a jazz master And he goes, Oh dude, I got I got the he was like nice enough to Like that's the kind of guy that he is, you know, so um and I know that he's like sponsored by Fender or whatever Some people, some dickheads out there would be like, ah, fuck it. All all of his instruments are free, but he still had to make some phone calls. So it was a, I like cried on the box when I got it. (laughs) It was so cool.
1: Well, that's great. And anything else about the special that you want people to know?
0: I didn't mean for it to be such a kind of emotional thing, like talking, you know, in order to go down there, I had to talk to my family. They were kind of the gateway to me getting to do the show at the floor Bama, you know? And then I just figured I, if I'm going to go on stage and tell all these jokes about my aunt and my dad or whoever, you might as well get to meet them so that they can humanize themselves. And it is, it's been a, it's been a really cool thing in in the wake of this comedy special, how our relationships have evolved and and kind of, a, a, a nice thing that has is, is kind of changed my life in a really special way. But the, the most special thing that has happened is my aunt let me go through storage and I found all of my mom's band's recordings, which is, that's a lot of like the, for context, like in the, in the up special, I, I compare myself a lot to my mom's, uh, to my mom and how she had this, career as a musician that that didn't work out in the way that she kind of wanted it to and um but I found all of her recordings all the way back to 1975 and and my hope is that when people are watching this special if they're interested they can go find my mom's music on YouTube or or wherever it is I'm trying to figure out how to get it like streamable on Spotify and stuff but her band is called Sin Twister and I just want um people to go look it up and listen to it Thin Twister is what it's called, and it's um, spelled S-Y-N-T-W-I-S-T-E-R with no spaces. Yeah, so if you watch it and you care about it or you like it, which I totally understand if this thing that I made isn't for you, but if you do like it, go try to find my mom's stuff because I think it's worth checking out.
1: You having that music is really important, and the, it's. I think that's, that's amazing that... Um, she had that music going back that far
0: yeah yeah dude it's uh it's pretty fucking cool it's uh and i had i hadn't heard it since i was a little kid i had all these memories of it you know like at the end of the stand-up special i play this song that my mom wrote which is i guess a spoiler but whatever it's a comedy special uh, called he's hot and i just sort of wrote that from memory (laughs) like like i wrote the cover of it from memory and just from looking at a VHS tape that I had of them singing it but like it's been a trip to hear like these actual recordings with full bands and like you know it's been a a crazy crazy cool thing. (sighs)